We are beginning a series today uh, that we're calling Signposts, and we're actually going to be going through the first Peter and second Peter. Uh, and so if you don't know where that is, it's towards the back of the New Testament. It's in that little place where you've got all these little small books. Uh, and so as you get to the, towards the back, you'll find uh, first and second Peter. And, and today I'm just going to start with kind of an overview because I think it's important that we just get started with kind of understanding the, the, the big idea, the, the, the kind of why this book was written and, and what God was doing. And so we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But I did want to announce something to you uh, as a church uh, over the we started, I think, in the first of May, we received an offering uh, and that offering goes to what we call legacy. And legacy is basically us putting money back to someday buy our own new home. Right. And uh, so we currently rent this space and and uh, we are just so excited about being able to do that. And so I just wanted to share with you what kind of came out of that. And so this particular month. We raised uh, a little over $30,000 in that offering. And so praise God for that. And, um, and so it's just amazing to see what God is doing. You know, I mean, we, we, we've ranged anywhere from like 24 to 25 to, to 30. And, and so that's kind of been our range. And we receive this offering twice a year. And all of that money is going into an account and has some interest accruing. But ultimately, that money is going to be used someday uh, for when the bank says, well, do you have a down payment? And we'll say, well, yes, we do. <laughs> and uh, we'll be able to go and do what God has called us to do. Um, I really do believe that, that as a church, we are in a season of preparation. That God is preparing us for something different, something new. Uh, I think some of that has to do with the physical location, but I also think it has to do with our ministry impact in the city and in this world. And so I'm really excited about it. Uh, so be in prayer about that. Be asking God how you can prepare yourself as we continue to accomplish the mission that God has put on our heart to accomplish, which is to see people transformed by Jesus uh, in this city, in this nation, in this world. Come on. And so it's going to be good. Well, I am really excited about starting this series called Signposts. And, and um, if you've never read the book of 1 Peter or 2 Peter, I would encourage you uh, to, to read it. Matter of fact, I would say over this summer, just start adding that to your devotional time. Or maybe you don't read the Bible at all. And uh, so this would be a great place to start. And it's really easy. You literally could sit down and read 1 Peter in probably 30, 40 minutes, I'm guessing. Because, I mean, it's, you know, I'm a slow reader, maybe an hour, give yourself an hour, whatever. But it's like got five chapters. It's not that complicated. And it's kind of a misnomer. It's really a letter uh, and not so much a book. And, and that's important to understand because, see, uh, this particular letter was written at a particular time into a particular context to a particular audience. Does that make sense? That's important. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not relevant to us today. That's important also, because sometimes we'll say, well, that, that was how they did it then, you know, and that's true, but there sometimes are things that we draw from that that are important for us today. Then there are other things that maybe that's what they did culturally, and it doesn't necessarily mean that what, that's what we have to do today. Does that kind of make sense? And so that it's so important that we understand that these letters that were written in the Bible, uh, they, they transcend space and time, but they're also circumstantial. And so they relate to particular circumstances in time. And so sometimes when you read the Bible, you'll be like, that's weird. 
like, why are they doing that, right? Like, you have these moments where you're just kind of, like, confused. Like, because our cultures are so far removed that you have no idea what's actually happening. And so just keep that in mind as we go. And I wanted to read uh, the message series verse to you so you kind of get an idea of what this is about. But I really don't even have to, to make it up because Peter pretty much told you what it was about. Listen to this. In 1 Peter 5.12, at the end of that reading, you heard this. I am... Right, I, I have written and sent this short letter to you. That's important. So, so what's happening is the, the, Peter is identifying himself. He does this in 1-1 as well. Of, as, as you begin the book, he identifies himself as the writer. So it's important we know that. So he says, I have written and sent this short letter to you. And then he says, with the help of Silas. So in other words, he had somebody helping him as he was writing it, uh, and for various reasons, that, that was pretty common in that day, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. So he's like, Silas, good dude. When he comes to you, when he speaks, listen to him. He's been with me. Then watch, he says this. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. And then he says, stand firm in this what? Grace. Stand firm in this grace. And so twice in that, just that verse, he mentions grace. He mentions the grace of God. So here's the thing that I think we need to see about the book of Peter, first and second, is that what he's trying to get at, one of the major themes that we need to see is to point our attention to the grace of God. And not just in a general sense, but listen, listen. That his grace is sufficient for all things. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? In other words, it's not like it's kind of sufficient, it's kind of good, it's kind of... No, no, it's sufficient. So for everything that you deal with, everything that you go through, every challenge that you face, God's grace is sufficient for you. Now, you may at this point not fully understand what that means. Like you're like, okay, yeah, God's grace, got it. But that, my friends, is a big deal. It is a big deal that God's grace is sufficient for me and that I can stand on it. So when everything around me is shaking, come on, when, when your life isn't always adding up, when challenges you face, come on, God's grace is sufficient for you. This is good news. And so, so that becomes the, the message behind the message. And so when, when we're talking about this book, what we're going to be talking about is a variety of subjects, but underneath it all, the foundation is this idea that God's grace is sufficient for you and for me, and that it's enough. And what we need is that. And so the big idea for this, this particular series as you're kind of tuning in and kind of getting your brain around it is we have been, listen to this, we have been set apart by God's grace to be signposts of that grace. Does that make sense? So in other words, as a follower of Jesus, I have received something from God. And my job is to make sure that as I've received it, I now am doing this. Does that make sense? In other words, I am pointing to God. That my life is pointing to God. In everything I say, everything I do, all of it. Everything I experience, whether it's good, bad, ugly, 
My job is to point to the one whose grace is sufficient. Does that make sense? And so, so, so what I'm trying to get us to see is that as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have to understand that you have a job to do. And your job is to point. Your job is to be that signpost that's pointing people to God. Don't you believe in this world right now at this time in history that, that some Christians need to be pointing to God? Yeah. Come on. As you look around the world, as you complain about the news, as you complain about everything that you see in front of you, don't you think that Christians need to be up there saying, hey, 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 guys, I know it's scary. I know things are out of control. I know that this is going on and I know this is going on. But guys, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you about something. And you, and you just point. <laughs> and you're pointing to the one that can do something about it. That can do something about it. And my concern is, is that as I look around our world today, it seems that we're pointing at a lot of things. But we're not always pointing at God. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to, to believe this stuff. Like, I don't even have to convince you. You're like, oh yeah, I believe it. That we're not pointing. We're not being the signpost that God has called us to be. And so my heart for us today, as we go through this series, is that we would become pointers. That we would become signposts. People who live lives that are pointing to God. And God forbid that we would ever live a life that wasn't. God forbid that Christians would become so casual in their relationship with God, their behaviors, that somehow our lives no longer point towards a holy God. Now, some of you are getting nervous right now. You're like, oh no, it's one of them kind of sermons, huh? Well, actually the whole book is, so you just, you know, that's just where we're going to be. As you, as you heard the people read, you heard snippets of the themes throughout the book. And did you notice some of them? It was, it was around suffering. It was around holiness. It was around submission. Like all of these things that come out in this book are so important to us as followers of Jesus. And so I'm so excited to share this with you. And so my heart is that we live lives that point towards God in how we behave, how we suffer, and how we submit. Now, I know I say those words, and we'll get to them. We'll talk about them. I say words like behavior. You're like, oh, gosh, he's going to get after some of that, right? You hear suffer. You're like, well, I'm not sure what that means. And then you hear submit, and you're like, I'm out. Because I know you people. I mean, some of you, just the very word makes you cringe. Like, you just hear the word submission, and you're just like, I'm out. I hate this. I knew, I knew that's what they were going to say. I knew they were going to make me subject myself to somebody else. I have rights. I have rights, right? I mean, come on. We're all Americans as far as I know. And that's what we say. I have a right. Don't we? It's in the, it's in the Constitution. It's in the Bill of Rights. I know it. It's right there. Amendment 2. 
But listen, listen. In the kingdom of God, you have no rights. Now you're like, wait a second. No, no, it's a kingdom. He's the Lord. He's the king. There's no like constitution where it's like, well, now I have a grievance against the father. And so I got to go and tell him. And, and then he's going to be like, yep, you did it. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I should have done better. No, that's not going to happen. Why? Because God doesn't mess up. He doesn't make mistakes. And so your grievance is probably just your own arrogance or your own hubris of how you see the world. And so my point is, is that, that we have to understand that our lives are to be laid down in service and submission to God. And when we do that with God, we'll be able to do that with others. The problem with others is that we don't, aren't doing the, the first one. In other words, our vertical relationship is, is, is pointing to a horizontal problem. And so we have to understand that this book is trying to get us in line again. And so that not so that we'll be feel bad about ourselves or feel like, man, our life is so boring. We can't do anything because we just have to be like Jesus. But it would be more than that. It would be like, I get to be like Jesus and I can't wait to tell everybody about it. And it's, it, it concerns me in my own life. And it concerns me in our church. It concerns me in our nation. When I see Christians casual about that. Because guess what? There's no other plan. You're the plan. Jesus finished the work and sent you out to be the plan. And so when we're thinking about, man, I wish Jesus would come. Holy Lord, this world is going to H-E double hockey sticks in a hand basket and oh I just wish Jesus would come and the Bible says when all have heard he will come that's what Luke tells us and so my point is is like while we're waiting on him he might be waiting on us that's what his word says so uh, so I've gone to preaching I'm not, I don't even, I'm not even on my notes so the apostle Peter wrote this book and he wrote it in about 62 AD. We know that he probably died a few years after that, like maybe one or two. Matter of fact, there's discussion that he wrote the first one. And then after writing the first one, he was put in prison, waiting execution. And while he was waiting on execution, he wrote the second letter. Get this. So he's writing from a very difficult place. He's writing from prison, and he's waiting to be executed. And friends, he was executed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you're wishing that the story would end differently. Like, you're wishing, like, you know, there would just be this happy ending, and, and Peter ran, you know, like he rode off on a white horse into the, the fields of happy food, and, and it was just awesome, and it was just great, and the sun was shining. No, no. Matter of fact, tradition says that he was crucified. And he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the way his Lord was because he didn't feel like he deserved it. That's big time, isn't it? And now you think, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, I'm excited you asked because I think we're going to get to that as we go through this book. See, 
The book talks about God's grace. It talks about suffering. It talks about persecution. It talks about how we live lives of purity and holiness. Uh, yeah, it's like lives of holiness. <laughs> Lives of holiness, godly living. Yeah. It exhorts us, tells us to live steadfast and faithful, to be submissive. And then also talks about the return of Jesus. Like that this isn't all that's there, that he's coming back. And, and so this word hope is kind of put throughout the book because there's this hope of Jesus' return. In other words, that what I'm seeing currently isn't all that's there. In other words, there's something else that I can look towards. Because sometimes, isn't it true, we get so focused in the world and the pain and the suffering of this world that we lose sight of what's coming? I've found that sometimes I know, if, if you know what's coming, it can make you better. Like, you ever had that? Like, you're going through a hard season and you know you have a vacation on the calendar? And it like, just like, okay, well, guys, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. But it gives you this hope. How much more should heaven give us that feeling? How much more should heaven, to be with the Father, give us that kind of feeling? Amen. Come on. And so these two books are about a lot of things, but Peter is giving us very good, plain advice about how we ought to live. And I say ought because it is a moral statement. Ought to live. And, and Peter uses his own personal testimony, his own testimony of life and being with God and being an apostle to encourage and instruct us on how we live in this world as we wait on Jesus. So sometimes we think waiting is passive. No, it's waiting that's active. It's waiting that's waiting on him to come and we are being good stewards and faithful followers of Jesus. Now, I'm old enough to um, have played the first Nintendo. Now, I don't know if some of you... Now, some of you got it because it was like retro. I got the retro device. Like, I am retro. I vintage, thank you. I, I, I played that first one. And matter of fact, I couldn't even afford one, so my friend had it, and I played his. And I just remember thinking it was the coolest thing ever, right? And then there was this one game. There's, there's all kinds of great games. And, you know, you had Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Come on, Duck Hunt. It was so fun. But then there was this one game. It was called Contra. Now, I don't know if you've ever played Contra, but Contra was an amazing game, but it was so hard there was no way on God's green earth you were going to win that game. It was just too hard. Some of you are like, well, I did it. Whatever. Because <laughs> you're just constantly dying. But then somebody found a code. They found a cheat code. And it was like A, B, left, right, star, happy, you know, select, one, two, up, down. And, and, and if you did it, you got unending lives. I mean, it was amazing. It was like the greatest thing ever. So literally, you walked through the game bulletproof. It was like amazing. It was the best thing ever when you finally got it. And then you finished the game, and you thought you were the coolest thing ever. And, and it was just awesome. But I can tell you, I couldn't finish the game without the code. I couldn't finish the game. And so sometimes you need the key. 
Sometimes you need the, the key to help you do something. And today I want to share with you three keys to understanding 1 Peter. Understanding 1 Peter. Three keys that are going to help you. Three important words that are going to help you understand what's happening in this letter written by Peter. And the first is this. He's really interested in lifestyle. Like he's really interested in our behavior. Now, here's the challenge with behavior, is I could stand up here on the stage and I could say, hey, you need to behave like this. Behave, 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 right? Do this, do this, do this. And you say, okay, fine, I'm at church. That's what they always do. They tell me to behave. They tell me to do the right thing. And then in the back of your mind, you're like, I get it. I'm supposed to behave. I'm supposed to do the next right thing. But man, I don't know if you know, but it's really hard. And I've been trying to do the next right thing for a long time and it's just not working and you feel defeated. Come on. And I think that's what happens sometimes with, with people in church and they hear uh, religious people stand up and say, don't, 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 right? And so you behave. You've got to behave. You've got to behave. Make sense? The problem is, is that when we hear Peter talk about this in just a moment, the thing that he's assuming when he says behave is that you know and love Jesus that you've experienced his grace and you've recognized that it's sufficient for everything that you need and you live out of that. If you try to behave without that, you will fail. Do you understand? See, 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 if we could do it without that, we wouldn't need Jesus. And so my point is, is that we have to understand that he's assuming that there's a relationship. And so what I want to do for just a moment is assume that there's a relationship. And so when I'm going to talk about behavior, I'm going to do it from that assumption. Is that okay? It's important because, because if we try to do it on our own, we're in a big mess. Matter of fact, we just become religious people that, that are constantly trying to do to make ourselves feel better and make God love us. And that is not what God is interested in. So, so, so the first word that I think we have to see is lifestyle. Matter of fact, the Greek word in this particular passage uh, or in this particular book talks about the way of life. The Greek word is translated way of life or conduct or behavior. Matter of fact, this word is, is mentioned 13 times in the New Testament and six of them are in 1 Peter. Six of them are in 1 Peter. And so, so this is a big deal. It's important to Peter. So I'll read a few of the passages that he uses this particular word about lifestyle or behavior. Listen to this. This is in 1 Peter 1.15. But just as he who called you to be holy, so be holy in all you do. That's the phrase. In all you do. That means lifestyle, right? That means your behavior. In all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy, is what the Bible says. Then watch this in 1 Peter 1.17. Live your lives, come on, as strangers here, as strangers here in reverent fear. Reverent fear of God. In other words, I fear that God is able to do exactly what he says he'll do. He's powerful. He's strong. Now, that doesn't mean I'm scared of him. It just means I recognize that he is powerful and I give him reverent fear and I live my life in reverent fear, the Bible says. And then watch this. First Peter 2 12 live such good lives among the pagans. I love that live such good lives among the pagans that 
though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, live in such a way that the pagans, you know those people out there that you judge all the time, live in such a way that those pagans are attracted to your God. In other words, be a sweet aroma in their lives. Don't stinketh. <laughs> That's King James. Don't stinketh in their lives. Watch this. In 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, and, and he says this, and some of you wives in the room might get uncomfortable with this, but listen, it says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, but by your behavior. Isn't that interesting? That, that somehow the way you act and the way that you respond and the way that you interact with your husband could lead to that unbelieving husband coming to faith simply because of how you lived your life. That's cool. And I can tell you this, and I'll give it to you straight and strong. If you nag him, he will not listen. Is that okay? Is that fair? Some of you are like, well, I'm not a nag. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. But if you're saying you're not a nag, you might be a nag. <laughs> it goes on and says, when they see the purity and reverence in your life. In other words, your purity. Then watch this in 1 Peter 3.16. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Isn't that good? So, so in other words, you're living in such a way that nobody's coming at you. Like they might come at you, but your life is like, go ahead, take your shot. I sometimes look at my own life and I wonder if they came at me, would I be okay? You know what I mean? You ever thought that? So here's the point. The way that we live either points towards God or away from God. The way that I live, my behavior, how I do things either points towards God or away from God. So here's my question to all of us. Am I helping or hurting the witness that I have? In how I behave, am I helping or hurting the witness that I have? Let me make it more practical. Here's a good one. Whatever you're doing, whatever behavior, whatever lifestyle you're carrying on, would you invite me to come? Because I'm the pastor. Like, no one invites me. <laughs> Nobody wants me at their party. <laughs> but my, my point is, and please don't invite me. It's a, it's a, <laughs> like, I feel like I'm going to get all these invitations now. I, guys, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> but think about this. Think about this. I, I remember this as a teenager sitting in youth group and someone saying something to this effect. Would you take Jesus to that thing? You know what I mean? You remember that? Like that? And I remember I, I hated that question. Because who wants that question? What happens with that question is it leads you to either feel guilty about what you're doing or 
it makes you think and consider what if what you're doing is cool. I mean, it can do either. And I found that if you don't know the grace of God in your life at such a level that you are responding to it out of gratitude, what will happen is you'll receive that as like, man, Jesus is just trying to bring me down. I'm trying to have a good time here. Of course, I don't want Jesus there because he's going to see what I'm doing, right? Or the question hits you like this. Man, I love God so much. He has done everything for me. And I can tell you, man, I don't ever want to be anywhere or doing anything that would dishonor my Lord. Do you see the difference? And, and we play mind games, guys. We, we, we do. And, 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 so, and so what I'm trying to say is I don't want you to be motivated by guilt. I want you to be motivated by gratitude. I want you to, to want Jesus to come or want somebody who you trust or believe in or, or that's maybe above you or further along. I want you to invite them along. Why? So that you can say, I don't care that they're here because I'm not hiding anything. I'm not one person over here and another at church. God, help us when the hypocrisy in the church is rampant like that because our witness is affected. Our witness is affected. And guess what? People don't listen then. They don't listen anymore because they were there when you were there. And now all of a sudden you've lost your witness. And my friends, I'm just trying to tell you, we've got to be better. We've got to be a holy people. Our lifestyle matters. When it says that God is holy and he calls us to be holy, that's a big deal. Like, matter of fact, and you're like, well, that is a big deal. And matter of fact, Jesus even said it. Have you read Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the biggest sermons Jesus ever did? He says the same thing. He does. And he's looking at all of these religious leaders. He's looking at these Pharisees and he's saying, look, if you're not holy, like God is holy, then you got a problem. And all these religious people are like, well, I'm doing pretty good. I've been, I've been putting 10% of the cumin and 10% of the mint and 10% of this and 10%. I've been, you know, and, and they're thinking that somehow by what they do, they'll be able to achieve this. Friends, if we could achieve this without Jesus, we wouldn't need Jesus. So in other words, my righteousness comes from him. And when I receive that righteousness in my life, I want to live for him. I want my life to line up for his glory. Whew. This is just a foretaste of what we're going to be talking about. I'm excited about it. Here's the second word. Very important word. It's submission. Now, I know that this is not a popular word. Matter of fact, I think it's kind of a dirty word in our culture. Like when you hear this word, who stands up and is like, yeah, submission. No, who's doing that, right? And if they did it, you'd think they were weird. Because I actually think submission is like a curse word in our culture today. The idea of submission. Oh, you can't make me submit. You're just trying to imperialize and and make me oppress me yeah yes that's what we see that any kind of form of submission is somehow uh, uh, packaged in some kind of masculine something goo 
That's what it is, isn't it? Like when you hear that word, it gets, it gets packaged. And the thing that really bugs me is that these are the same people that say they, were, they would be cool with Jesus. I love Jesus. Like liberal, left, right. They're like, Jesus, he's awesome. He's a good dude. He does good teaching. I'm for Jesus. Well, guess what Jesus talked about? Submission. The creator of all things who was with God in the beginning, who sustains everything by his powerful word, humbled himself to the point of death. He washed his disciples' feet. He went low so that he could be lifted high. Do you understand? And that's what, what I'm trying to get at is that this isn't a dirty word. It's a beautiful word. It's the very essence of who Jesus is. That Jesus was a servant. God's love, agape, is a selfless, sacrificial love. And so when we think about this idea of submission, boys and girls, we better get on board. Oh, we're not going to look like Jesus. We might look like something else. We might look powerful. We might look successful. We might have people going, woo, woo, you're amazing. But Jesus is like, you missed it, kid. You missed it. You got enamored with power. You got enamored with your own pride. You got enamored with whatever it is, the crowds, but you missed it. Now he still loves you. Matter of fact, I think it's his grace and mercy that you're in this room today hearing this word because some of you are on the brink. Some of you are on the edge believing the lies of the world and God is trying to draw you back and say, be different. You be different. You live in such a way that brings me glory. You submit in such a way that shows the glory of God. Submission to individuals, submission to Jesus, submission to leadership. And I know some of you are scared of that. I get it because you've had bad leaders. You've been hurt by leaders. You've been hurt by spiritual leaders. And friends, I just have to say that's going to happen because leaders are sinful and they do sinful things sometimes. But that doesn't take away the fact that submission is still good. So allow God to heal the hurt and get back in line. Because God wants to heal the hurt so that you can get back to doing the things that God has called you to do. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's the way. The way doesn't change just because you have pain. God wants to heal that pain so you can get back on the way. Whew! Thank you, Jesus. Guys, this is good. I mean, this is good stuff. The Lord has just given you good stuff. 1 Peter 2.13, listen to this. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among man. And some of you are like, well, one of those authorities are evil. I know, I know. I get it. Isn't it interesting that everybody's evil that you disagree with? found that everybody I disagree with has a problem. They're, they're wrong. I'm right. More than likely, they're evil, right? Every government that's ever been, we all have opinions. And I understand. I'm not saying that our government is always doing right things. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that there haven't been horrible leaders in the world and that Christians don't need to stand up sometimes. I'm just simply saying that the Bible is clear that God put those people in our lives for a reason. 
And even if we suffer under them, there's reason and purpose in it. That's, isn't that crazy to think about? That there's this connection between suffering and joy? And we'll get to that. But my point is, is that you see that clearly the Bible says we should submit to authorities. Matter of fact, he goes on and says the king. Now, I know that we don't have a king, but, but, but there are environments that you have kings. And, and at this time in history, they had kings and they have emperors and they had all that. So, so there's something going on. And he even talks about this, about, and this one's sad. This one kind of bothers me. He says this, he says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Swallow that. Now, clearly, think about this. This was being written in about 36 AD. Slavery was a thing. It was everywhere, okay? Into that context, Jesus shows up. The church got it wrong. The church hadn't figured it out. Some people continued to propagate a problem over a long period of time, but it never changes the fact that the Bible and the gospel in Jesus was working on setting people free. Now, whether or not we did something right with that is a different discussion. But to imply that somehow God is for slavery is a problem. Because if he was for slavery, he would have kept Israel in slavery in Egypt. But instead, he frees them from that slavery so that they can be a nation, a holy people, that then blesses the world through the blessing they've received. So, I can't get in on that, but you get my point. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Come on, young men. Check yourself. Because some of you are rebellious. You just are. you got a rebellious streak. And guys, and the reason I can say that is I do. I, 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 rules? Rules were made to be broken. That's how I lived my life. And I still have those tendencies today. And without Jesus, I would still probably be breaking rules all the time. I love, like when someone paints the line, I'm like, well, let's just go over that line. Let's just see what's over there. Right? Any of the rest of you like that? Yeah, come on. So, so, so my point is, is that, that it, it, as young people, we have to recognize that God puts people in our life for a reason, to help us. And perhaps we're not as smart as we think we are. And so, listen to this. The way that we submit to one another and God either points people to God or away. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the way you submit points to God. The way you submit to others. The way you submit to your husband. The way you submit to your wife. The way you submit, come on young people, to the people who are older than you. The way you submit to authorities in your life. Oh God, help us. I found that this is, because I found that we've got authority issues in the church. You're like, oh geez. And what I'm not saying is you just have to take it. You know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes we hear this and it's just like, well, I just got to take it. They're just going to beat me. It's just going to be horrible. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just simply saying that God created this structure for a reason. Matter of fact, 
Husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church. How did Christ love the church? Thank you. He, he sacrificed his life. And what woman can't follow a man that's sacrificing his life for her? <laughs> right? So my point is, is when we do it the way God has called us to do it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's right, and it's ordered, and it's the way that God wants it. And then finally, I'll close with this last word. This is the third word. And remember, all these words are helping us understand the book as a whole. Remember that. So the, the third word is this. Suffer. Suffer. Matter of fact, this word is mentioned in the New Testament 40 times and in Peter 12 times. In 1 Peter 12 times, this word suffer is mentioned. Matter of fact, it, it's suffering as an individual called to bear this kind of thing that's happening. It's also contrasting the suffering we have with the suffering that Christ went through and relating those things. And it's so important that we see this. And so my point is, is, is and let me read it to you. And this is in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. And we're almost done, guys. Stick with me. It's important we lay this out. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered. Now notice it's past tense, right? So he's writing in past tense. So he's, Peter is writing about something he experienced in the past. So he says, he says, therefore, since Christ suffered. Now this word therefore on the front end is telling you that, that, that what he's about to say, right, cause and effect. What he's about to say is the effect of, of what's been mentioned, which is all the things that Jesus has done for us, okay? All the things that Jesus has done. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. And what does is, what is Philippians chapter 2 tell us his attitude was? His attitude was one of humility. Remember? Because it says that he... He, he was willing to suffer unto death for us. So, so, so it was one of humility. So he says, he says, arm yourself also with the same attitude of Jesus because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now, what does that mean? What in the world does that mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, what does that mean? Well, what he's saying is, and, he, and this is important, you see it. Both suffered are past tense. Do you notice that? They're both past tense. What the Bible is trying to get us to see is that his suffering led to my victory. In other words, when I take on his suffering, what he suffered, I take that now, okay, and I receive it as finished work, and then he says, I think what's most important is done with sin. So what is he saying? He's saying, when I receive the righteousness of Jesus, I now stand in victory. And so the sin that so easily entangles us is the thing I reject. It's the thing I don't go towards. It's the thing I say no to. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be times in your life that you sin. The Bible says that we all sin. The Bible says that we will sin. The Bible says that when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. So go to Him so that you can be restored back to God. You have that in your life, but it should never give you license. It should always make you say, you know what? I'm rejecting it. I'm not... I'm not going for it. I'm res I'm not, I, I may screw up sometimes, but I am not going towards it. Do you see what I'm getting at? 
That's what Peter is trying to get us to see. And so we, we, we got to check our lifestyle. We got to check our submission. And we got to check the suffering that we go through because the suffering we go through, the suffering that Jesus went through helps us with the suffering we deal with today. The brokenness of our lives, the challenges of our life. See, the Christian life may involve suffering even as Christ experienced suffering. And friends, isn't it true in your life, in my life, you've experienced suffering, haven't you? Like, it's just true. We all experience suffering because the world is broken and fallen. And, you know, I, I, I was reading in the, the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews does such, such a fascinating job of connecting suffering and joy. Like, do you ever connect those two things? Suffering and joy? Like, I, I don't. It's like, uh, no, I'm good. I don't think of being joyful when I'm suffering. Do you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, who, 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 who's like, yeah. And, and, and yet Hebrews tries to help us see the connection. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Listen. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, right? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. This is important because if you're fixing your eyes on anything else, it's not going to work. So he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him, listen to this, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, So in other words, the Bible says that he, for the joy set before him, endured this stuff. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible is very clearly saying that that, that he had joy because he knew he was being faithful. He had joy because he was being obedient to the Father. He had joy because he was accomplishing a purpose that would unleash the grace and the love of God on the world that desperately needed it. See what I'm getting at? He had a joy in his heart because he knew he was being faithful. He knew he was being obedient to God even if he had to suffer because he knew someday he would sit at the right hand of God. Guess whose story that is? Yours. It's yours too. That as you endure, as you suffer, as you go through the hard things in life, you also have this truth that someday you will sit at the hand, right at the feet of God. You'll be in heaven with Jesus. You'll get to experience the hope of Christ. And I know that right now that may not seem like much constellation or constellation. Help me. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. But isn't it true that that's what's coming? And so the joy set before him, he did this. See, Jesus knew the connection between suffering and he knew the connection between joy and suffering and glory. That someday there would be glory. And guys, he's our model. He's the one we follow. And so as Christians, when we live right and well, we point people to God. When we submit right and well, we point people to God. In a world that's scratching and clawing and climbing ladders of success, don't you think Christians sometimes stand out if we don't do that? When we do it differently? When we serve people instead of demand? So so, so when we do it that way, when we suffer, listen to this, when we suffer well, we point to God. How crazy is that? Have you ever met anybody that was suffering? Have you ever met someone who was suffering and yet had joy? Is that not the most attractive thing you've ever experienced? That there's something different about that human being that you want? 
I remember and recall a woman in one of the first churches Gretchen and I pastored in. She had three kids, young woman at the time. I think she was in her 30s. And she was dying of cancer. And I remember going to the hospital and visiting her. I didn't really know her, but I was visiting her. Her husband was there. Her children were there. And they had a little baby. And this woman was dying. And I prayed for them, and I listened, and I, I heard her talk. And, I was, and it was crazy. I left the room, and I was so amazed and encouraged by how she was handling her own death. Like I was drawn to her because she had something I didn't have. There was a joy that was eternal. It was beyond space and time. It was a trust in the promise of God. And I was so moved by it. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And she eventually died. But she suffered well. And when she suffered well, I was drawn to the glory of God. Do you see what I'm saying? See, that's a picture, isn't it? That Peter is painting for all of us. So I'm so excited as we go through this book. Because I think God is going to work in our lives. Because we need some of this, don't we? We need some of this. Yeah. I want to read this to you and I'll close. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses its value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. The ransom has been paid because of what Jesus has done for us. As we walk through this life, as we try our best, as we examine our behaviors, as we learn to submit one to another, as we suffer. Jesus has ransomed for us what we need. He is the spotless lamb that paid the price once and for all for you and for me. And that is the power that we have to be able to accomplish the things that he's called us to do in this life as we long for the next, to be with the Father in eternity. Guys, as we're praying, I don't know what hit you as I was talking, where you were challenged, where you were encouraged, where, where you were kind of struggling. But I, I do want to pray for all of us today. I want to pray specifically for those that of us that are suffering. God, I ask that you would draw close to those that are suffering those that have been hurt by the church 
those that have been hurt by spiritual leaders, those who have, uh, those who have been hurt by loved ones. God, those who have been betrayed by friends, those who are struggling with a sickness or disease that won't go away. God, suffering is real. But I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would draw your kids close. Father, that you would speak the word of life over them, that they'd hear your voice, they would know your voice, they would respond to that voice. God, I pray that the love of the Father would just begin to pour over those lives, that the love of the Father would just begin to, to flow in this room, that the love of the Father would, 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 would just flow and pour onto your people right now, Jesus. God, wherever there's hurt, God, I pray that there would be healing in this room. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray for that. I pray specifically for anybody that's wrapped up in a lifestyle that's not honoring of God. Right now, in the name of Jesus, just submit that to the Lord. Just say, God, it's, I, I've, I'm not doing it right. I, I've been living a lie. I've been, I've been walking away from you. I've been doing this, and no one knows about it. God, I just, I'm sorry. The Bible says if you'll repent, God will draw you to himself. Don't be afraid of the Father who loves you. Just confess to him, Jesus, I, this is where I'm at. This is what I've done. This is, this is what's going on. And I need your help. Would you forgive me? I ask your forgiveness now, God. I want to be back in line with your way and your will, your purpose for my life. Please forgive me, Jesus. I know that there's probably somebody in this room that when they hear the story of Jesus, they kind of experience it at a distance, like it's a good story, but it may be not your story. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to make it your story. The Bible says that Jesus has ransomed his life. He paid the price for you and for me so that we could be restored back to the Father. And my heart for you today is that you would come running back to the Father. He loves you so much. The Bible says that Jesus came into this world to suffer and die. He had joy in this purpose because he knew the result would be you connected back to the Father. So the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that this is true, that he'll make it so. And so my heart for you today is if you don't know that, that you would take a step of faith. And so what I want to do just for a moment is pray for anybody in the room that would like to take a step of faith and begin a relationship with Jesus today. And so what I'd like for you to do on the count of three, just as a way of, uh, just as a way of stating in faith that this is you, heads bowed, eyes closed. What I'd love for you to do on the count of three is just to simply raise your hand so I can pray for you. And so right now, on the count of three, just go ahead and lift it up. One, two, three. Go ahead. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Good, good. Anybody else? Good. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Church, we're all going to pray together. So multiple hands go up. Praise God for that. But we're all going to pray together. No one's praying alone in here. And so if you did raise your hand, I, I just want you to 
say these words as well. There's nothing magical about them. I'm just asking that you mean it, that this is your heart. This is what you want. And so let's say these words together, church. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you wash me clean? I choose this day to follow you. Will you be my Lord? Will you change me from the inside out? Will you show me the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that are making decisions today? We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you.